This podcast is designed for anyone currently with kids or considering becoming a parent. Created to inform, inspire and support you on your parenthood journey. And so, from an in-depth psychotherapeutic understanding of current child development, we bring you Parenting the Next Generation. How not to fuck up your kids. Hello and welcome to episode two of Parenting the Next Generation, How Not to Fuck Up Your Kids, with me, Katie Goldfinch, and Kitty Hagenbach. Now, Kitty is a family psychotherapist and has been for 30 years and is a dear friend of mine. And Katie is a career-driven woman who's beginning to think, maybe I would really like to have children. Yeah, I would really like to have children. And so we are talking about, in this episode, the preparation. So in our first episode, we were talking about the why, how to decide whether to parent or not to parent. And today we're talking about the preparation. So you've decided you want to have children and you're looking at your life and what you might need to change. Where would you start, Kitty? Mm, Really good question, Katie. So I think once we've decided that we would like to parent, the very first thing to do is to talk together with your partner if you've got a partner. If you're going alone, I think it would be quite good to really think for yourself about what's important to me and how am I going to prepare myself uh, for the journey and where you're going to find your support. So let's talk about having a partner and the kind of discussions. And what I've, I, I used to run a parenting program called Babies Know, And I ran that for 12 years and it was quite a deep dive into parenting. And mainly it was for couples who are pregnant. And they would say to me, that's fantastic. It's the first time I've actually spoken about anything important to my partner. So I'm going to encourage you to talk about what's important. What's important to you both about having a child, about your preferences, your bias, your prejudices, and have a discussion about all sorts of things. Yeah, for some people, it might be the first time they really think into what they want to pass on to their children. And so then learning what is important to your partner might also be a massive deal breaker, perhaps, for the relationship. And speaking of deal breakers, there may be deal breakers in terms of your approach to parenting as well. And so it might be a good idea to start those discussions as early as possible. I think it's a really good idea to have the discussions, to be honest, because we might be too frightened to be honest in case our partners don't agree with us. So to be honest and to say what's important. However, I'm not expecting at all that people will agree on everything. There needs to be room for difference. And there's really no right way to do anything. You know, it's about actually how you're going to come together and discuss things. People generally fall out about the washing up. You know, it's ridiculous. Because if we've been brought up in a certain way, it really goes deeply into our psyche and we think that's the way. And you may be with a partner who has a very different upbringing to you. So talk about, you know, what your thoughts are, what your dreams are, what your fears are, and also discuss sort of, each other's childhood so you get to know a bit bigger picture about what the expectations are because actually how we learn about being parents is by being children and the parents we had and we can have very fixed ideas about this so I think it's about not being too fixed. Mm. Yeah and so what some people may consider a non-negotiable 
like a cultural difference or an outlook on education or gender and sexuality fluidity or being a vegan or a vegetarian how would you suggest navigating a difficult conversation where you disagree on something that is something you consider to be a core value or core belief that you absolutely want to pass on to your children? I think it would be important to set up some sort of almost diary time with your partner and each of you have time to speak so I can speak absolutely what I want to say and you're just going to listen to me, not butt in on me. You're just going to listen. And then when I come to an end, you're going to talk and I'm going to listen. Really listen, because to really listen is not to prepare the answer in your head. It's to really hear how does your partner really feel about this issue. And then you can have the discussion. And then it's looking for the common ground. How do you find the common ground? And I think rigidity is really a very big problem in relationships and it's a very big problem if your relationship with your child if you're going to have rigid principles so you know look for some place in which you can find some fluidity and also question yourself why do I feel so strongly about veganism whatever it is why do I feel so strongly that my child must be circumcised you know why do I feel so strongly that they must be brought up in a certain religion what's that all about and can you find some common ground in that and that also might help you discover whether it is negotiable or not and something that you can come back to later, remembering that this is the preparatory phase and there's still time before you have to make these big decisions. And so that also sort of feeds into discussing fears, dreams and expectations because it is about the outlook that you're sort of trying to share as parents. So... If you're looking at your relationship with your partner and you're preparing to parent together and you're starting these conversations, how often do you think is good to sit down and have these deep dive conversations? Can you overdo it? Well, I think you can overdo it because you can be too thoughtful about everything and waiting for everything to be perfect, which, you know, is not a good idea. So I think it depends if you're thinking about having a child in the next three months of course, you don't know when the child will come necessarily. You might think about having a weekly, fortnightly, you know, something conversation. It shouldn't become onerous, but it must be at a time when you're both able to be relaxed, you have no mobile phones on, you're not going to be interrupted. So you actually have a sort of sacred time to discuss it. And I think it's also to listen to your partner. And if you're disagreeing with something, Take a little bit of time to understand their point of view. Like, where does this come from? How valid is it? Might be something I never thought about before. Because in any kind of relationship, there needs to be room for difference. But there may be some things that are so deeply embedded and so essential that actually no, I, can't, I can't really go ahead with you having a child because this is non-negotiable completely. And that's a choice. But you're better to say that now rather than to, you know, have your children and then say, no, 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 that's not okay, we can't do that. So it's an opportunity to kind of prepare the grounds. If you were gardening, you'd be digging the soil, you'd be putting in some nice nutrients and you'd be looking after that. So it's a really important thing and it's something very odd about people that I've worked with as couples rather don't talk to each other about what's important. They might talk about all sorts of other things, about, about work, they might talk about sport, they might talk about travel. But they often don't really talk about what's on their heart, which is very strange to me. Mm. And I suppose there's nothing more revealing than how you teach your child to be in the world. 
Okay, cool. Let's talk more about setting up your tribe and your layers of support. I think this is an essential piece, whether you're going to parent on your own or parent with a partner. We all need to be supported. I did a very interesting thing I'm going to explain to you about support. And one of my Babies Know programs, I was running an exercise about support. And it just happened that there was a, a single mum with an absolutely distraught child there, a completely distraught child. So I asked her if she would be okay with someone putting their hand on their back. And she said yes. So as someone put their hand just on her back, the baby began to calm. And then I asked someone if they'd be okay, that person, to have somebody's hand on their back. And so we gradually joined up the whole room, about 20 of us. And as more people came in to support just the energy of the hand, the baby just fell asleep and was completely calm. And so that's, in a way, what support does. Because if you're unsupported, you know, you're very unlikely to be able to support your child or stay calm with your child. So you do need to have support. And so the support you need to have is the support that you particularly want that would help you. You might have family support. You might not have family around you. So then look to make your tribe. One of my clients didn't have any support in this country, so she went to Pret-a-Manger when she had her baby and went to anybody with a pram and said, you know, can we talk? And do you want to be part of my group? So we make a group and they made a Pret-a-Manger mum's group. (laughs) (laughs) Be creative. Yeah, that's so great. There are many different ways you can make your own family, hey? Definitely, definitely. But you do definitely need the support. And why I shared the story is that we don't necessarily understand what's happening actually in the energy if we don't have support. You know, it means that we're empty, we're running on empty and the child has to start supporting us. That happens a lot. Babies will come in to support their parents if the parents don't have sufficient support. And then that's not a good thing for the baby to feel so stressed. And how much support do you need? Two layers. And the dads need support as well as the mums. You know, they need to be able to go to the pub and have a pint with somebody and chat it out. That's support as well. So, you know, we do need to have two layers of support for everybody. And is that, if you're boiling it down to basics, is that two people? Could it be two people? Yeah, it could be two people. It's just that the sort of an exponential increase when you have one layer of support, you get a certain amount of support. Another layer of support brings in much more safety, security. It allows people to be in their bodies, in their felt sense. So it's it's really helpful because if you don't have support, you're likely to be on, on high alert and adrenalized and unable to drop in. Mm. Often support can be from the parents, i.e. grandparents, from baby's perspective. How would you recommend harnessing and managing the elder wisdom? I think this is a really important subject because quite a lot of younger people moving into parenthood would not want to parent their children in the way they were parented. So it can cause quite a lot of fraction in, in parents. I think it would be good to talk to their parents and um, explain what's important to them, the now, the parents-to-be, and talk about what their ideas are and how things have changed and, you know, feel it out. Are they willing to help? Can they help? Quite a lot of grandparents are actually looking after children for a whole day or two days a week now because it's so expensive to have childcare. So I think, again, it's about being brave, having a conversation and explaining to your parents about, you know, how you'd like to parent Can they support that? Because a lot of grandparents then feel very criticised or judged because they feel they got it wrong. So say to your parents, you know, this is not about you got it wrong. Things have moved on. We know more now. 
And this is what's important. Like, for instance, responding to a crying baby rather than, oh, they'll just go to sleep and they'll be all right. Mm. And I can imagine that's quite healing as well. If you've had perhaps a difficult childhood, it gives you an opportunity to have a conversation with your parents about that. Absolutely. And it's not about blaming parents. So I want to say this, and I'll probably say it lots and lots of times in these podcasts, all parents are doing their best. The best is not always good enough, but they're doing their best. And that's something to bear in mind. And each of us, our parents did our best. We have riches and, you know, good experiences and poor experiences from that. But, you know, that was their best. And we can sort that out. But it's very helpful if there can be a grown-up discussion between grown-up children and their parents, not in a critical, judgmental way, but in a way to try to find the common ground. Mm. Let's move on to physical health. So you're preparing psychologically to have a child, but also physically you're about to go through a major change. What would you look at first? Well, I think it's good to stop drinking and smoking um, anything, <laughs> whether it's tobacco or marijuana or whatever, so that your body is in a very uh, pure state, so you're not going to have too many toxins. I think sperm is made every six weeks or something like that for men, so that's a sort of a six-week window there. But for women, the, the eggs are in the body the entire time. In fact, each of us was in our grandmother's womb, which is quite a thought because the baby girl has all the eggs in their body before they're born. So, you know, it's common sense, really. You know, eat healthily, cut out as much tox toxins as you can. And if you're really seriously sort of preparing and ready to start conceiving, then I think no alcohol and no tobacco or other drugs of any sort really are helpful. Mm. So you're offering a, a kind of as healthy a womb as possible. Mm. I remember you mentioning in a previous discussion that we had about some research in regard to cigarettes and there was proof that the baby inside the womb was squirming away at the mother's thought of even having a cigarette. Yes, it was research that was done in Belfast and it was a smoking mother and through the ultrasound research they could see that if the mother even thought to smoke, so this is about someone who was already smoking, the baby know what it feels like in the womb if you smoke. If the mother had a thought about having a cigarette, the baby squirmed mm. and, and um, you know, recoiled, really, I think, because there was going to then come the shortage of oxygen and the toxicity of the tobacco. Mm. I would imagine that there's an argument for that in terms of psychological health, because if somebody relates their relaxed state to perhaps having one glass of wine a week or one cigarette a week or, you know, in different sort of variations. If they believe that having such a thing makes them psychologically more balanced, yeah, how would you respond to that? Well, I think, you know, one glass of wine a week is not going to be too serious, but I think it's more about if people are heavily drinking or smoking and they're relying on that for their psychological well-being it would be really good to try to give that up and feel what's under that because all addictions are really have a base of trauma and pain so is it possible like to give up smoking and then work through the difficult feelings that come up from that it's very very difficult to do 
but you might even substitute for chewing gum or something I don't know but it is a very difficult thing and most people who actually are addicted say no it's fine it's fine I'll be able to get it up not a problem I can do that but it's not often the case it's really hard if you've relied on a substance that's going to protect you from some of your pain then you want to keep going so the better thing would be to be able to explore the pain either on your own with a partner or with a therapist and to heal that as much as possible rather than just keep repressing it because that gets passed on to your child the Mm. pain the trauma gets passed on Mm. so talking of trauma psychological well-being in preparation for parenthood is is a really good area of focus so would a good exercise be looking at your trauma looking at your history and trying to heal as much of that as you possibly can oh without a doubt yeah so what we understand now is that the brain is affected by the epigenetic effect which is the environment actually patterns the brain it's not all about genes anymore and so you will be the environment as the parents you'll be the environment and particularly the mother will be the environment when the baby's in the womb So that environment, if it can be as comfortable as possible for the baby, that will be a great advantage. But if there's a lot of uh, repressed emotion in the mother, that repressed emotion will become apparent to the baby. And the baby doesn't know the difference between itself and its mother. So the more that you can look into your own childhood, and this is where a lot of our patterns are originating, then it's going to be great. But you're not going to get to a clean slate. I mean, that's not going to happen. But just if you have strong feelings about stuff, strong fears about stuff, you know, take a little look inside. And there are all sorts of ways you can do this online. You can do it in in groups. You can do it with, you know, a therapist. There are many ways you can take a look. But it's helpful to consider. Now, most of us think our childhood was very happy unless we've got specific memories about some sort of abuse or something like that. But normally we all have some issues because there's no such thing as the perfect childhood. And, you know, part of this is the grist for the mill for us to develop and to grow. So it's helpful to just know, you know, notice when you have an over-the-top reaction to something anywhere, at work, at home, whatever. Ask yourself, why am I having such a strong reaction? Because underneath that is going to be a much more vulnerable feeling than perhaps the anger that came out. So it's really helpful to have a bit of self-knowledge because your children will for sure push those buttons. Mm. It's so interesting that you would need a specific event these days to quantify a difficult childhood. But as you've said, there's no perfect childhood. Everybody grows up with difficulty and their own traumas in varying ways. Do you think it's important to speak to your parents about your childhood experience at this stage? If you've got parents who are willing to talk about it, absolutely helpful. But not everybody's got to have that opportunity. So the people who don't have that opportunity can talk to each other, can talk to a friend, and can just write about it. Journaling is really helpful. But we are really unconscious as human beings. We're about 8% conscious. So what children do when there's a trauma, they just push it into the unconscious. So we don't even know it's there. And then when we have children, often this begins to become apparent to us, either through the experience of giving birth or because the children are going to be aware of it and they are going to challenge it. And this is where your children become your teachers because they're going to point out to you, as my kids did to me, my blank spots. 
And then you have a choice to, to sort of say, okay, whoa, I need to look at why I'm responding like this. And it's an opportunity. Or you might see it that actually, you know, the child is wrong. Most people want to make their children wrong. But it's very helpful to get used to the idea of saying, okay, why, why am I so angry about this? Or why am I so sad about this? Or why do I want to be in control of that? Just be a bit more curious about yourself. Yeah, I can imagine so many parents going, what's wrong with my child? <laughs> I'm quite well known for people bringing me their problems with their relationship with their children. And they always say to me, what's wrong with my two-year-old, my four-year-old, my eight-year-old, my 12-year-old? And providing that child has been born healthily and development has been relatively normal, there's generally nothing wrong with the child. It's the dynamic in the family that needs to be worked on. And if those parents are willing to listen and to change the dynamic, the children are released in a nanosecond. And, and it can be a really, really good outcome. That's my happiest work, really. Two things, being preventative, which is what I'm doing now, hoping that people will think about things before they fuck up their kids. <laughs> <laughs> And then also, um, you know, when parents are willing to say, wow, okay, I'm willing to make repair. And then the child is released from that. Mm. Something that you said in the first episode really spoke to me. And it was a phrase that really helped me some time ago when I was doing some deep work in, in healing my trauma from my childhood, which was my parents are doing their best. My parents did their best. And I think really adopting that idea is very freeing. And I can certainly own from my own experience that writing, journaling and writing letters to people as though I was going to give them to them and say everything that I wanted to say really helped me unravel what what I could deal with on my own and what things I needed to actually be heard in or seen in. Yeah, I think, look, once we're grown up, I think it's really helpful to become accountable for our behaviour, accountable for what we've taken on from the childhood. Blaming our parents is not helpful at all. They've done their best. It's not going to help us to move forward for them to blame. So I went back to my mum when I began to wake up at 39 and I went back to have the I love you kind of conversation that a lot of courses would help you to do. And um, I, I just explained to her how I felt about uh, my childhood. And her reaction was, after all I've done for you, you know. So I said, I'm not blaming you. I just wanted you to know how I felt. And she couldn't understand it, not at all. And about three years later, she said to me, I've been thinking about what you said. And I can see it was difficult. And then I go, oh. That's all I needed was some ownership or some affirmation of my experience. I think that's what it really is. It's the affirmation of my experience. So I found it really difficult. And she was basically saying, of course, it wasn't difficult. And then when she could suddenly realize, not suddenly, three years later, <laughs> she was able to say to me, I get it now. I get, I get that that could be difficult. That's all I needed to have from her because now my experience has been affirmed. And that's something we'll talk about in later episodes because it's so important that the child can have their own experience affirmed. Three years is a long time to wait, but I bet you would have waited five to hear that. Yeah, it's brilliant. I was so, so released from it. It was brilliant. Mm. OK, so there's a lot of information out there for everybody to read in this preparatory phase. You could definitely be overwhelmed and overload yourself. How would you go about doing the right amount of reading and how do you navigate it with so much information out there with enormous difficulty 
There's way, way too much. And I often question myself, am I just another voice in this cacophony of voices? I hope I'm not just another voice. I hope I'm supportive for people to prepare for parenting and then have a, a wonderful experience of parenting and their children to be met in a way that the children have a really good start in their lives so they can be who they are. I think that's so important that children can be their natural selves and can express themselves. And so I think you just go to what interests you, you know, just not what you should read, but go to where you're interested. I mean, years ago, I read a book by Thomas Verney called The Secret Life of the Unborn Child. I think I read that back in the 70s. I was really blown out by it. So I clearly already knew what I was going to do in my future life, although I didn't consciously know. This really, really touched me deeply. And it's still very relevant. And he's gone on to write other books now um, as well, Tomorrow's Baby, and I think he's just publishing another one now. So um, there are various books there. I think it's good to understand about the baby in the womb having a consciousness because that's something that's not generally understood. Most people wait till the baby's born and then they think the baby's life begins. Although the Chinese have known this forever because it, when you're born, you're a year old already in China. And I think in Tibet as well and I think in a few other Eastern countries. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So, yeah, so the ancients knew a lot more. I think we've just become very materialistic, very sort of slave to Western science, I think, Western medicine particularly. I think it's a lot to learn from the East so go to what you're attracted to go toward. Don't read a hundred books. Read what uplifts you. And I think, you know, if you don't know anything about nutrition, you can read a bit about nutrition, for instance. But it's pretty much common sense. A lot of it is just common sense. And the things that I think, you know, to sort of just would be to definitely talk to your partner, you know, look at your diet, look at your lifestyle and prepare yourself to be a really welcoming and healthy womb for a baby to arrive into. And also, I would say be around kids as well, because personally, I don't have many kids in my life because many of my friends are career people, so they don't have kids. I don't know what it's like to be around kids a lot of the time. So in this phase of trying to decide whether to have children or not, it's hard to imagine it because I'm just not around them. So... How do you do that if you, if you just don't have any mates with kids? Well, that's an excellent point, I think, because in the past we might live near extended families and stuff and we might always have nieces and nephews and whatever. It is really, really important to hang around with kids, also to get an idea of how kids are and how they behave. So I think you just search out in your community, you go and offer a bit of help somewhere, do a bit of volunteering and learn what children are like. So on my own experience of all my friends having children, I was so critical and so judgmental. And I said, oh, goodness me, stupid woman, why didn't you just, you know, do this or that? And I was no idea what I was saying, but I was very opinionated in my 20s. And then when I had my children, I ate my words and apologized to my friends. Because <laughs> the reality of having a child is so far from anything you can imagine so be open to that, but do hang out with kids. I was fortunate to be on a program with my obstetrician where every Wednesday we had a meeting and some wisdom was, was taught to us, but also the postnatal mums who were doing yoga um, handed their babies to us, the prenatal mums, to look after the babies. And suddenly this little tiny person you've given responsibility for while mum does the yoga. It's so good to get your hands on a small baby. 
and actually to know what it feels like and how tiny they are and how robust they are as well. So it's a super good idea to hang out with kids a bit. And it is often missing. Sometimes people are giving birth and they've never held a baby. Yeah, that must be really scary for it to be your own child. You've never held a baby before. How do you do it? Where do you hold them from? What about the head? All of that stuff. I think it's all natural, to be honest. We just need to come out of our heads and just, I mean, I think you may have to learn that you support a baby's head. But, you know, if we just drop in and relax, we know how to do this. We've done it for eons. We don't have to try and think out everything. And I think the other thing is we can't think it out because the reality, as I discovered, of having my own children compared to what I observed when I was in my 20s couldn't be more different. And it's a very, very special and very different and very subjective relationship, which I promise you I can't describe to you. You can't know it till you actually have experienced it. Yeah, it's kind of prepare versus surrender or how how to do both concurrently. I think it's educate yourself a bit, you know, be aware that actually, you know, it matters how I come to this. It matters for my child that my baby will be having the experience from conception on that will actually imprint on them their own understanding of themselves because that's what the environment reflects back to them and of the world they're in. So it's good that babies are conscious in the womb because they've got the opportunity to feel out what's this world I'm coming in and prepare for it. So they'll know their dad's voice. They'll know actually if this is a good relationship or not. Does mother feel supported by dad or not? You know, they'll get a picture of their world. They know what they're coming into. You know, you can't prepare to the nth degree. I just think that the thing that I'm most passionate about really is your physical well-being so that you have a healthy body and healthy egg and sperm, your psychological well-being so you're going to be able to manage your own emotional self, so emotional intelligence really helpful on part of the parents, your support system really, really, really important, more than you can imagine. And then just open up and let go and relax and joy. Don't try and be in control of it all. And then probably you need to address your birth control. Indeed. (laughs) Over to you, Katie. Well, it's something for you to then think about, isn't it? If you're in this preparatory phase, you're then going to then stop controlling whether you get pregnant or not. And so then it's coming off whatever contraception you're on, if you are on it, and having that discussion with your partner and how you're going to manage that. I'd love to come back to the point, making peace with your childhood. So we were talking about realising that your parents are doing their best or they did their best. And this idea of perfection prevails these days, is, is needing everything to be perfect, needing to know everything before doing something. And so when you recognise that you don't have to be a perfect parent in order to become a parent, you can then forgive your parent for not being perfect and recognise that they did everything they could in their power at that time to give you everything that was available. And if you're angry with your parents, then as Katie was saying, you know, take a pen and paper, write a letter of accusation and rage until the steam coming out of your pen, use as many expletives as you know how to use and then tear it up or burn it. Don't send it, but it's just a dump Because something I think that's very important is I think we have a responsibility for choosing how we responded to the environment. So it could be twin babies, boys or girls, identical twins I'm talking about, and they'll have a very different picture of their parenting. 
the parenting they received. So we have a personal responsibility for how we interpreted the situation. And um, in my situation, as I may have said in the earlier podcast, is I was an unplanned, unwanted child. And so I think I was really enraged about that. And by the time I'm born, so I've done a huge amount of exploration into my prenatal experience, which is very accessible through the body with special understanding of that help you need for that. But I think when I was born, I was so enraged that I think I did the rejecting then. And I know for a fact I refused to breastfeed from my mother. But my mother said breastfeeding was yuck. So why would I want to breastfeed from that energy? I think it was quite smart, really. But it created problems for her. She got breast ulcers and so on and so forth. And she, she was funny. My mum said, you were obviously poisoned in a past life. You know, she had no accountability for it at all. But I just refused to feed. So, you know, I think I was quite smart, really. But I think I was also in a bit of fuck you. And when did you learn that information? And did it inform your journey with breastfeeding? When I went to America to study pre- and perinatal psychology and I did some very deep work at the body level, first thing was it was the first time I ever felt safe really in the world and I hadn't known I wasn't safe. But I also, through the regression, through my body memory, was able to realise, I, I knew the information from my mum because she told me quite proudly, um, but I didn't have the body felt sense of it. And in terms of my breastfeeding my children I breastfed both my kids I loved it I think it was just the best thing because it's actually not only is it marvelous for the nutrient it's so easy it's a hell of a lot easier folks but it's not easy to get breastfeeding going always and we'll talk about that in the latest in a later um, edition but episode yeah I'd always been told that story growing up so I knew that story intellectually but I didn't know it at a body felt sense Mm. So interesting that that early experience for you informed you later down the line. That's so interesting. Okay, so you've decided, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to have a child. Let's come off our birth control. You've spoken before in a workshop that I attended about the life beginning at the idea of the child between the parents. So if you've had all these conversations with your partner, that experience has already begun for the embryo, would you call it that? Well, I think the spirit, it depends if you take a spiritual view or not. I think that, you know, the more aligned you are with your partner and the more ready you are to conceive, the more likely you are to conceive And so I think that the jury's out about when life begins. Nobody knows the answer to that. That's one of the big mysteries of the world. I think we need some mysteries, quite frankly. But suffice to say that um, there's an intelligence in the egg and the sperm, and there's also a history in the egg and the sperm. So the egg and the sperm contain the hologram of that person's life and previous and ancestors. There's a massive amount going on. So when you really get into embryology, it's completely fascinating as to how much is going on and how the egg selects the sperm they want, only opens to a certain sperm. Wow. So, so millions of sperm, not like millions, but thousands of sperm are, are ejaculated and the egg makes a choice about which sperm they're open to. Oh, I love that. So probably the fittest of it all. So you can read Thomas Werner. He'll talk you all about this. Um, But it is. There's so much intelligence. Look, we know the natural world is intelligent. We know that plants are intelligent. 
our bodies are intelligent, the sperm is intelligent, the egg is intelligent. And so we need, a, I think, to really surrender to the intelligence and honour it and really respect it. Mm. I, I feel it's so important so that conception's not a mechanical thing. It's not a, you know, I want it now, because quite a lot of times it takes time to conceive a child. And often that's to do with who knows what, but it can be to do with uptightness or too much attachment to how it should be or I want it now. I've had clients especially who are lawyers very much in their head, very disconnected from their body and sometimes don't manage to conceive when they want to and then they're quite upset by this and get very distressed and want to be in control. You can't be in control of this. This is a gift from the universe, from God, from whoever, wherever life comes from. It's not up to us to say, I want it now and expect it to be, mm. you know, immediately responded to it. Maybe some people conceive the first time they try. It is not in our control. Stay in the wonderment, stay in the mystery. Don't try to control everything. Just look at the miracle of it all. I mean, the miracle of a human life is coming to behold. Yeah, I can imagine lots of people having a, a particular period in their career that is appropriate to stop and have a child. And that expectation and that uptightness and that planning, that over, oh yeah, that over planning can create massive tension in the body. It sounds to me like a lot of this, this phase is about surrendering. Surrendering and honouring your body, surrendering and honouring the opportunity of life. I mean, water carries a memory, so so is this matter that's hopefully going to come together from both bodies to make a child. Yeah, I think in the Western world we forget to be respectful. So in, I think it's Burkina Faso, there's a lovely um, story which I think has been reported in various different ways, but the essence of it is that when somebody, especially the woman, wants to have a child she goes out to the countryside and sits under a tree or something and listens for the tune that will come. And when she gets the tune of their baby, um, she'll go back to her partner and sing the tune to her partner. And all through this baby's life, both in the womb and afterwards, this is going to be the tune of this baby. So it's much more respectful. It's about you know going and connecting and being willing to receive a spirit and being willing to receive a new life rather than the sort of mechanical way in which we tend to go about it in the in the West. So it's there's a lot of mystery about conception. And sometimes people conceive babies that they never intended to conceive, but that baby presumably wants to come. So I think there's way more than we even vaguely understand that's going on. But embryologists do understand a lot, and it's a completely fascinating read just to look at some, I don't know, some papers on the internet or something, just to get the essence of it. It's fascinating. And come to the pregnancy with kind of um, openness and willingness and wonderment. And wonder, who will this child be? You know, it may not be Einstein, you know, just wonderment. Who, who is going to come to us? Mm. You know, who's going to come to me and how am I going to be able to support that person to live their life to the full? What can I offer? Not what am I going to get? It sounds like such an exciting phase, surrendering to wonderment, getting a deeper relationship with yourself and your parents. It just sounds really lovely, not to mention all the wonderful sex you're going to be having as well. Definitely. <laughs> Fascinating. I love this episode. Thank you so much, Kitty. For those of you preparing out there, good luck with it. Thank you so much, Katie. 
If you're in the preparatory phase, all power to you. We hope our conversation has been helpful. In episode three, we talk about pregnancy and birth plans, help with miscarriage and abortion, managing stress, lifestyle changes, oxytocin and fetal love breaks. Mm -hmm. What are they exactly? Well, tune in and find out. <laughs>